Do turn your Bibles to Paul's letter, to first letter to Timothy, uh, as we continue our study in this first letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read the passage we looked at last week, and we'll be re-looking at the last verse and concentrating on that this afternoon. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll read together verse 12 to 17. This is Paul's testimony, in a sense. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of which I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me is the foremost. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him to eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. If you want a title for today, it's Paul's Song of Grace, calling his testimony a song of grace to the king of the ages. Paul's song of grace to the king of the ages. And no doubt you noticed the doxology where we want to concentrate our thoughts on today. Doxologies are wonderful. We love them, don't we? We repeat them, we sing them, and yet so often when we come across a doxology in scripture, we just glib over it, don't we? Uh, while we may think that's wonderful, what a great finish to a passage. It's good and right to glorify God and burst forth with praise. But we seldom pause to consider the words of doxologies. And perhaps because of familiarity to us, we sing them and we know them. And I learned so many hymns as a young boy and I still remember those hymns, some which we don't sing here. But sometimes that familiarity doesn't really help and because it's something we know and we sing that hymn and you can recite it without looking at the words and you're totally distracted and not concentrating on worshiping God and what the hymn has said and sometimes that's what it's like with doxologies but they are in the scriptures and these things were also written for our instruction they are the words of Christ and this particular doxology, Paul has brought his testimony, how he truly believes he's the worst of sinners. He leads the pack. He is the least of the saints. And he, he considers God's abundant grace to him, overflowing grace to him. And he, it seems, spontaneously bursts into a fervent doxology. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And think about those words today. And for that reason, I want us to pause here at the end of that section for a moment as Paul wraps up the section, which I said some have called the Song of Grace, his testimony. 
let's consider the exact words used by Paul here uh, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's make this a meaningful doxology to each one of us uh, and make it our own like Paul did because of the overflowing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to him and indeed to all who affirm in their hearts what is just said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of which you and I, like Paul, see ourselves as the greatest, the foremost sinner in the pack. Well, we looked at Saul, the persecutor and worst of sinners last time in this testimony. Paul, the apostle, the recipient of God's overflowing grace. And Paul, on display, you might remember, as a trophy of God's grace, sings and praises the God of grace. And let's consider this afternoon more closely this doxology, this formula of praise to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three uh, headings, I've broken this doxology into three headings. Number one, God is the eternal king. God is the eternal king. The doxology opens to the king of the ages. The age before creation, that was an age, and the present age in which we are, the age of the dispensation of grace, and the age to come. And Paul expands on this eternal ages of ages king by giving us three outstanding characteristics of his nature, his infinite perfections, as he tries to comprehend what the Almighty is like. And Pastor Sands has been teaching on this in, in our confession, which makes my job a lot easier. God is not simple. He's not made up of hearts, as Pastor Sam has been teaching, uh, beyond perfect, understandable, inscrutable in all his ways. And the psalmist writes when he considers this God in Psalm 139, in response to God's intimate knowledge of not only him, but of of all things, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And Paul writes something similar in Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment how inscrutable his ways, past finding out. And in this doxology, he gives us three glimpses of God's outstanding, glorious, infinite attributes or perfections, immortal, invisible, the only God. And you may think, why did Paul choose those? We heard that God was most gracious, he is most kind, he is most loving, and, and, and so many other things. Well, because God's, all these attributes are God's perfection. It is all in him, but we need to see them as different things so that we can understand them better. But Paul is not excluding these in this doxology, you can be sure, because when he speaks of the grace to him, overflowing grace, he is telling us most gracious, but he gives us just these three words, immortal, invisible, the only God. These give us a striking description 
of the nature of God. So those three points. Uh, firstly, sub-points number one, he is the immortal king. God is the immortal king. We are mortal. We die, and it's because we have corruption in us. God, unlike man, is incorruptible and therefore immortal. And it's a relative attribute. It's a negative attribute, as far as the Sam has taught us. God, unlike man, is not subject to decay of any kind. He is immortal. He's eternal from everlasting to everlasting. Perfect and unchanging. And Paul has got all these things in his mind, I'm sure, with these words. He is without corruption or ability to be corrupted any way. You may say, Paul, what about God is holy? Yes, that's what he's saying. He is immortal and he's eternal. He's incorruptible. He's unchanging. And he is the king. He is the only immortal king. And our hope, brothers and sisters, in life and in death for some, even Pastor Sean's father soon, is not in some great ruler of the earth. And we come into elections, election year in America. Who do we vote for? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest nation? Well, we believe we're the greatest nation. Who's the greatest ruler? Our hope and our trust is not in that. Even the best statesman of the strongest nation on earth in comparison is but dust on the scales, as Isaiah 40 teaches us, before the immortal king and his everlasting kingdom. Without a shadow of a change, perfectly holy and pure, full of infinite perfection, and the greatest prophet on earth, Moses, of course, the prophet on this earth anyway, declares in his great song in Exodus 15, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? This is the immortal king that God is. And isn't it sad that we are told that man in his blind foolishness trades this immortal, true God for mere product of humanity. Man naturally chooses death and the fleeting pleasures of sin over the one who alone has immortality. And Paul describes in that in chapter 6 and verse 16 of this letter, who alone has immortality. What a terrible and foolish exchange. And Paul describes that exchange in Romans chapter 1. And exchanges the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Who's corruptible and is corrupt. And images, birds and animals and creeping things. Our God, brothers and sisters, is an immortal king. And we chose him, his church here today... We chose him, we love him, because he chose us in eternity. And he loved us in time by the sacrifice of his son on the cross for us. His son who is life and immortality, for he is the son of God, the king, and he too is king of kings and lord of lords. An unbeliever here today, I must pause here and speak to you in this passage is mortality your choice? 
Will you continue to worship created things over the creator, over the immortal king? Choose Christ. Come to him. Come to his son. Bow the knee to him. Call on his name and you will find that he hears you. You will find that he answers you. You will find that he will give you repentance and faith and love for him because it's a free gift because he loved you first. And he chose you before you chose him. Just come. That's all you need to do. Come and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he promised, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. Come to the immortal king. Secondly, this king, he is an invisible king. He is the invisible king. Excuse me one second. He's the invisible king. He is beyond human examination, for he is invisible. What we know about God in our finite understandings is what he's revealed to us in nature and in his word and finally and perfectly in his son. He is the invisible king which no man has seen save what we've seen in the face of Jesus Christ as he was revealed to mankind in person at his incarnation and in the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11 Talking of Moses, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of a king, a mighty king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. God is an invisible king. And in this letter, again, chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul writes, Who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. What a glorious and blessed fact, brothers and sisters, that the invisible king has been revealed to his church in the providence of redemption through Jesus Christ and every believer down through the ages and us sitting here today can and do know the only true God who is invisible to the human eye. And God is with us. For the dwelling of God is with men. He himself will dwell with them and be their God. This is not a science fiction movie. The force be with you. No, this is the invisible God who is with us, in us, by his Holy Spirit. He is the invisible king. And the third thing we learn here is that he is the only king. He is the only king. God alone is God. Besides him, there is none other. The only God as opposed to all the finite deities of man's invention, as we read in Romans chapter 1. In fact, in Isaiah 48, he says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited I am the Lord, and there is no other. He is the only king. 
And Paul emphasizes this. Remember when he was describing uh, eating food that sacrificed, partaking of food that was sacrificed to idols? The fear of what is based on false assumption. Listen to his words in 1 Corinthians 8. Therefore, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Many people live today under the false notion, and some of my family under the same notion, that it doesn't matter who or what you believe in, provided you believe in something, that you have faith, and you can find God in nature, or in Buddhism, or in other religions, for all these roads lead to God. Whoever that is and where, whatever he is, my friend, that is the sure pathway to eternal destruction. A path that leads away from God, from the one and only true God and King. Don't fool yourself. Don't exchange the truth of God for a lie. The creation itself doesn't fall for that folly because the heavens declare the glory of God. It's the words of Christ that direct us to this great King and only God. For I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Oh, you Christians are exclusive, aren't you? Yes, we are. Because God said it. The eternal, invisible, only God. His Son said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God is the eternal King, the God of all ages who possesses immortality, who is invisible, and he is the only King. As we've considered God as the eternal king, we spend most of our time in the second and third points, short points just to lead us to the obvious conclusion to these facts. What is the obvious conclusion to these facts about God? Paul and every believer's only appropriate response to God are expressed in this doxology. So let's observe in the second place, what is the only appropriate response. Number two, God is the only king worthy of honor and glory. God is the only king worthy of honor. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To him alone belongs honor and glory, and to him they belong for all eternity. And so be it. Amen and amen. And this is an emphatic invitation to every believer to set his seal upon this glorious doxology and to affirm the truth. And the truth flows from God's remarkable grace poured out to Paul. And the trustworthy saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Is there any other deity? There is none. Is there any other God that I might serve? There is but one true and living God. 
Are they idols we serve? Images and idols of the heart that we bow down to in exchange for the truth of God? Yes, every one of us used to and sadly may still harbor secret idols of the heart and sin in our hearts, remaining sin every day. In our natural state, every man, woman, and child become their own idol, and we are so inclined to serve and please ourselves and our passions. And Paul comes and he tells us, in this doxology, the Holy Spirit tells us, there is only one king worthy of honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What should we do? Let us redirect our lives and our hearts and all the activities to serve and worship the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has said. Why? Because he alone is worthy. Do not spend your energies on what is unworthy. Idols of the heart or idols of wood and stone and even gold. This is how it is in heaven. This is how it is. This is who and where our loved ones who've gone before us, my own mother and my sister, they pour out their praise and worship to the only king, all worthy of all honor and glory. Those around the throne, we see this in Revelation, in John's vision, in chapter 4 and verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things that by your will they existed and were created. God is the only king worthy of praise and honor and glory. And that is what we as the church rehearse every week, is it not? In and out every week to perfect our worship for that day around the throne when we will see the invisible three in one God and perfectly worship the only king worthy of all honor and glory. That is our conclusion and appropriate response, which leads us to consider thirdly and finally, not only is he the only one worthy of honor and glory, but thirdly, God is the everlasting king to be worshipped forever and ever. Starting down, God is the eternal king to be worshipped forever and ever. In both ages, in all ages, God is to be worshipped forever and ever. He is the only king who is worthy, for he is immortal, invisible, the only God. In that chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 15 and 16, he is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Romans 11:36 for from him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and I love that hymn you know it so well immortal invisible God only wise in light inaccessible hid from our eyes most blessed most glorious the ancient of days almighty victorious thy great name we praise that is the work of the church that is the work of your family. That is the work of every believer. To praise the great name of God. To worship him who is worthy of honor and glory and praise forever and ever. God is the everlasting king 
to be worshipped forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, what is our response to this song of grace, this testimony of Paul and his spontaneous doxology? Let's just note three lessons and applications, and they come straight out of this text. Take away as we come to the table this afternoon. What is our response? What do we do? Number one, submit yourself to the eternal king. A king is to be served. A king is to be worshipped. A king is to be obeyed. This is not an earthly state whose laws we keep begrudgingly because you have to drive so slowly. This is the eternal king who, despite our sin and wickedness and rebellion, have received this overflowing grace that Paul knew in his life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit yourself to the immortal, invisible, one only true God. In my life decisions, in the decisions, the way I raise my family, in the way that I treat my wife, yes, in the way that I treat my wife, in my gentleness and patience with all, this is to willingly and lovingly submit to the eternal king. That is how we show it. Love for his perfect law, love for his infinite perfection, a love for his dear son. In every part of my life, in every decision and choice, I submit to the rule of my eternal king. That's our responsibility. Number two, proclaim our king, the only king worthy of honor and glory. Proclaim our king, the only king worthy of honor and glory. No, no, exempt here. Yeah. How we love the praise of men. How we even love to heap praise on those who have been gifted by God naturally and spiritually. How we extol and stand in awe of even the greatest apostles in Scripture and the faithful patriarch. These things may have their place, honor where honor is due, but each one is but a brand plucked from the fire. And the greatest apostle was the greatest of sinners who persecuted the church of God and loved to see them stoned to death. Each one leads the pack in their own ways, the greatest of sinners, as we do. But here are their true legacies. They were recipients of the abundant, overflowing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy of honor and glory. And so, brothers and sisters, if you were a recipient of God's overflowing grace, then give honor and glory to him who is worthy. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive honor, glory, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Thirdly, the third thing, the one that I've already mentioned, worship God the eternal king. Love and serve him supremely. Worship God the eternal king. Serve and love him supremely. We've seen Paul's testimony in the overflowing grace of God to him. I thanks God for appointing him to his service, even though he was a wicked man. And Paul also gives gives praise for God's general grace, that trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. And each one of us, of God's, as God's redeemed children, have been recipients 
of that overflowing grace, as the least of the saints, as the foremost of the sinners, let us direct our lives to worship and honor the King, serve and love him supremely. And may this be evident, not on the Lord's day only, but Monday through Saturday. Monday through Saturday, in our home, in our private lives, in the thoughts that are in our mind that we think nobody hears or sees, in the workplace, in our families, in our marriages, brothers and sisters, young men and children, children, parents, love him and serve him supremely. Serve and love one another, for that is proof that we love God. In case you may ask the question, how can I serve him? What can I do? Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Hate the sin. Love God's law. This is how we prove our love and worship to God. This is the amazing grace. This wonderful passage in the life of Paul, the chief of sinners. And John Newton was another terrible one, just as bad as we are. A slave trader, and he writes that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see it was grace that taught my heart to fear. The grace of fears relieved, that abundant, overflowing grace. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. The amazing grace of God in the life of Paul and in John Newton and in each child of God confirms the offer of life-changing grace to all who respond to Christ. That is the free offer of the gospel. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him to eternal life. Your neighbors believe in him because of the grace of God in your life. Your children, the best way, let them observe the amazing overflowing grace of God in your life and they will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What is your song of grace? Christian, it should end in the same note, the same awesome note as Paul's. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To thee, great one in three, eternal praises be. Hence evermore his sovereign majesty. May we in glory see and to eternity love and adore. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for this reminder that you alone are worthy, for you are the immortal, invisible, one true God. Lord, we worship you because you are the living God. We worship you and bring you our thanks because we have experienced your abundant, overflowing grace. And we pray that we in our homes, in our family, in our words, in our thoughts, may be trophies of your grace. May be those who extol your name and bring honor and glory to you who are worthy. Bless us, Lord, even as we come to your table in this remembrance of your great love to us. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.